This is Cost One. Rayson speaking. Pressure coming here. Pressure coming. We're 1.5 below. Stand by. Two times here, boys. We're looking at 10.5 to 42. Hi everyone, welcome back. I have to kick off by saying a massive thank you for all your kind notes about the last two pods. It means a lot. Ian Walker's emotional story especially really prompted a lot of you to write. So thank you. It's great knowing you're all enjoying the stories being told in this podcast. Now normally I sit on the green at Cows to record my intro, but this time around it's tricky. The Sale GP has taken over my spot. Uh, next week, the Sale GP Circus comes to town and there's an army of workers constructing the race village and grandstand right on the seafront. It's so exciting. It's going to be so cool. And jumping ahead a bit, we're going to bring you a Sale GP special pod just before it all kicks off. As we talk to the CEO and the wing trimmer of the British team, Chris Draper. Before all that Sale GP chat though, it's been a busy summer and so we're celebrating one of our sport's greatest races with a podcast with one of offshore sailing's biggest names. I am of course talking about the Fastnet race which gets underway here again in Cowes in a day or so. I love the Fastnet. I've raced it a few times and filmed it many more. We've even stayed on the iconic rock itself, one of my favourite shoots of all time. In the middle of the Irish Sea, chatting to the boats on the radio as they round the lighthouse and head east to the finish in Plymouth. This edition of the race is special for lots of reasons. 40 years since the 79 disaster. It's a moment of thought, really. Uh, safety at sea has come a long way, but well, just be careful everyone. And there is a bumper entry of offshore talent, including the old teams, the giant trimarans designed to break round the world records, which is where we come to our next guest. One of the giants is French trimaran Massif, and it's skippered by the fastest man ever to lap the planet sailing solo, Francois Gabar. We chatted with him a few weeks ago in, of all places, an industrial estate on the outskirts of London. I'll let him tell you what he was doing there, but he managed to give us an hour or two of his time, and I can tell you now, he's a fascinating man. If you're not familiar with the French offshore star, then be prepared to be impressed. The youngest ever winner of the Vendée Globe and current holder of the fastest solo lap of the planet, he not only has an amazing pedigree, but also an enviable intelligence. An engineering background and a really curious mind makes him, well, I think, formidable. He's also one of our sport's really good people. He's a true joy to work with. I remember before his first ever Vendée, we had featured him in the CNN show and we're on the chaotic dock in Le Sable d'Alon looking to get the shot of him saying goodbye to his loved ones and getting on board his boat to start the race of his life and I'll never forget he tapped me on the shoulder in the crowd and asked if we were looking for him I mean that never ever happens he also always offers to carry the tripod which is a true measure of a good guy in the TV world we're fans, as is his massive French following. I hope you enjoy the hour I spent with Francois Gabber. I think one day we'll just fly around the world solo on this type of boat. You're never ready for sending a Vendée. You'll never be totally ready for it. I was so focused on the thing that I was doing, I didn't realize all the consequences of this. Francois, many thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's great to catch up and we've, we've got quite a lot to talk about. I mean, normally when we meet you, you're at the, the start of a, a massive French race or we come and meet you in Port La Fouret where your team is based. But today you're in the UK, miles from the sea. What are you up to here? Uh, we're just uh, at Artemis Technologies because they work, uh, they, we're working with them. Uh, for a while now, because um, the next uh, massive multi-tool uh, will be designed by VPLP, and VPLP is working uh, with Artemis Technologies. 
and um, they work a lot on a simulator uh, that has been used for the GP cells. Uh, and it was interesting for us to see a little bit how it works. That's why I'm uh, in the UK today. It's like sailing with a PlayStation. I mean, how did you get on? I was really excited. There's a lot of buttons everywhere, so it's just it was just like like small kid playing with a new toy. So it was interesting, and um, and after it's like a big PlayStation <laughs> because there's a big screen, uh, and it's uh, it's really interesting because uh, everything is moving and you start to really feel the boat. Of course, it's not it's not like in a real world. Um, but m it's maybe better uh, and even more when you're starting to sail on a boat like this that could go crazy fast, thinking about all flying boats, um, because you, we, we crash several times. I think the first time we really at the boat, we crash after two seconds. So it was probably good to understand a little bit how it works before to just uh, do it on a, on, on a real boat. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think it's. Uh, it's really interesting, and 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 we. I'm convinced that uh, it was something that we grow up in the sailing world in the next years. Um, it's already has been a little bit the case in uh, Formula One or even over um, over cars uh, racing. Um, so I think it will develop in the next years in the sailing world. Probably first. It starts with um, on America's Cup with uh, inshore sailing. It will arrive. It's already a little bit uh, in the offshore sailing because we use this type of uh, simulator VPP for designing our boat. So we have to understand how it will uh, develop in the next years and how to use it uh, um, in a good uh, in good way. I can see your, the cogs are turning, aren't they? How you can apply this technology to your world? I mean. What do you think you will use it for? Offshore sailing is a little bit different, and um, we, we we cannot sail around the world in a simulator. That's no point, we, or we cannot train uh, to sail around the world in a simulator. Uh, but there is things, there's plenty of. In fact, it's it's a tool, and we we can use it in plenty of different ways. I, I'm first thinking about the autopilot. We, we, we use a lot of autopilot when you're selling uh, solo offshore and uh, we need to improve them and uh, the simulator could be a really good tool for, for this. Uh, it's also interesting to maybe go in some extreme conditions uh, on a simulator because uh, it's not so easy. For example, there is not so many times where you can uh, jibe on a multi-tool like the Trimor Massif in 40 knots. So at the moment, the simulator cannot do this, but it, it's interesting to, to try things and to go in extreme condition, try maybe extreme uh, cell configuration or yeah, to just do some, some tests and you can crash. It's uh, more easy to reboot a, a simulator than uh, uh, put a boat on a good, uh, yeah, after crash, uh, and especially on, uh, on big uh, multiples like uh, Massif, our ultimate boats, it's, um, yeah, you, you cannot crash, we, we cannot afford it. I'd like to see that, the simulator for the, for the team class. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be great. So what are you up to at the moment? What's, what's the biggest thing on the horizon? Um, a lot of things uh, is happening um, for me at the moment, but uh, I'm most of my time uh, onshore. Um, we with my company, Merconcept, we're working on different projects and uh, of course my main main project where I'm the skipper is the Tremor Massif and the boat is uh, at the moment uh, on, uh, on, on ground, uh, on the shed, uh, after the Rudy Rum. We will launch it um, again on water in, at the end of May, so in a few weeks, and happy to do this, uh, but only with one foil. Uh, because I, I lost a fall during the Rue du Rhum, we are building a new one and it will be uh, um, ready to sell um, start of July. I'm selling, I'm, I'm still, I, I try to find a way to still sell during this, uh, this timing and I, I sell on a flying phantom. Um, one of our goal is to do the falling week and European championship on a flying phantom. It's really nice. It's different than the 
a simulator, but it's a good way to be back, uh, to try to, to spend hours flying on a small boat. And to, this is a little bit the same. You can try things, you, you, you can crash on a flying phantom. <laughs> it's possible. You, you, you can't do it on a trimaran, an ultimate trimaran, but uh, you can do it on a flying phantom. So I'm trying to sail as much as possible on this small boat, and it's really good because uh, I just love it. And uh, there's so many things to learn on flying boats. Uh, um, that's good to practice and to, to try things. Uh, on the same time, I'm uh, also focused on uh, uh, Imoka boats uh, because we're building, uh, with my team, we're building a new boat, Apivia, for Charlie Dalin, for the next Vendée Globe. There's a lot of things happening also on Imoka class in the, just now and in the next years. Uh, as you know, the boats start also to, to fly in some conditions, not as often as we could do on a multi-hull, but um, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of things will happen and I'm really happy to be part of this uh, game also. Now, you sailed Massif around the world on your own and we'll get to that a little bit later, that's a story in itself. But what's it like sailing it fully crewed? How different has that been? I'm really excited about sailing uh, on a, with a crew on a Ultim. Um, you know, I, I'm, I sailed a lot solo the last 10 years. I learn a lot sailing solo because you're just uh, you're just alone on the boat and you're in front of yourself and that's um, that brings you to a process where you have to learn about yourself and trying to be better and I I love it and just and I learn so many things but I just feel that I arrived to a point where now I also can try to brings all the things I learn alone and try to make it work with a team. Uh, on the on the boat because I'm already working with a team on shore of course and uh, I I'm I'm just want to do it and I feel I have now things to learn myself uh, being on a team I'm um, yeah just I'm just excited about it I don't know how long it will <laughs> uh, it will go and maybe after a while I will just think it's good to be back on solo sailing or maybe I will just uh, sell uh, even more on a cry. I have no idea, but I'm, I j I'm just really uh, personally excited about it. And about the Ultim, um, that's both that could be sell solo, of course. At the same time, the revolution we're just living with the boat that start to fly. Um, I think one day we'll just fly around the world solo on this type of boat. I'm pretty sure about it. Um, but um, probably that's... Um, First time we will fly around the world will be uh, with a crew. It will be more easy, and um, the flying process is something that is uh, um, really important for me. And uh, doing it with a crew is probably the best way to arrive fast for for this. And uh, we will learn a lot about our boat. We will learn a lot about how to fly, and we'll probably just make the solo race after even better because we we will learn so much on our boat that uh, what we could do after uh, Solon, it will be, I think, really nice and targets to fly around the world, clearly. It's an exciting time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it yeah. feels also that it's really accelerated. I mean, the last time we saw you, Francois, you'd just taken uh, Jimmy Spittle out on Massif for a spin, which started plenty of gossip in the world of sailing. You know, how did he enjoy that, I guess, and, um, you know, what did you, what did you get from him? Uh, a lot, uh, because Jimmy is a um, fantastic sailor and a fantastic competitor. And it's something interesting about just talking, sailing with him is uh, the way he's looking at his sports, the way he's looking about sailing, the way he's looking about boats. Yeah, every discussion with Jimmy is uh, interesting and, and you, you can learn a lot of things. Uh, with him and um, it was a um, wonderful experience and I hope also and I imagine a good experience, wonderful experience for him also because it was maybe the, one of the first time he was sailing on a boat like this and uh, uh, with an autopilot, with a boat that's flying with an autopilot. Um, Jimmy was arriving to something that was different than what he is used to, to, to sail. He brings all the things he could learn with the cup because he's probably one of the guy with all the sailors on the cup that uh, flies hours and hours in the last 
five or six years. Um, so that, that's, that's interesting. And I, I, I do believe that we are living, the sailing world is living a huge revolution with the fly. And um, you, we have to, to share and to talk uh, a lot in between uh, all the different boats on inshore. Uh, I mean, America's Cup, the Ocean Race, Imoca, Vendée Globe, Ultime. We're all learning different things. And uh, to understand this revolution, we need to, to pick up things a little bit everywhere. And uh, that's why Jimmy was on board. And uh, that's why also probably was happy to be on board because I'm not saying that because of this uh, experience, he will uh, win the next cup. But maybe it just brings him some ideas about things that he could uh, bring uh, on the cup. And uh, definitely we, we, we learned things with him that we could uh, directly uh, uh, use on uh, on our boat, so it was a good experience. And um, we were talking just before about uh, sailing uh, on the ultim with a crew, and I'm definitely thinking also that it's nice. It's a, a good way to bring people that it's a little bit outside of this French solo world. Um, so if we only have solo racing, it's difficult to invite people from from other field of sailing. And and uh, Jimmy, for example, is a good example. Um, uh, I mean, why not sailing with him uh, on the crew race in the next years? Uh, and why not? I mean, there is plenty of uh, of opportunities. I think for for a sailor for from the cup, from the Volvo, from uh, Olympics to sail on the ultimate if uh, we have this type of race. No, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, I, we were in San Francisco this year, and to think it was only six years ago that the Kiwis foiled in San Francisco yeah. and everyone was like, oh yeah. That's possible, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to think now, you know, it touches every aspect of our sport, it's amazing. Anyway, I want to, we'll come back to foiling in a minute, but um, I want to rewind a little bit to a period in your life that I've always been curious about. Is this right, when you were seven, your parents took the whole family for a year's sailing adventure? What do you remember about that year on a boat? A lot of things. Um, my parents, they, they're not sailors, but they, they, they love boats and we spend a lot of our holidays uh, on a boat. Um, but they, and they decided to stop working for one year and uh, to bring all the family. I have two sisters, one big sister, one small sister. So we, all five of us, uh, we, we just, just live in, on a boat for one year and we just sail around the Atlantic. Uh, I was six, uh, six, seven, and um, you know, it's timing of life where you start to, to or at least way, um, for me, uh, I, I have some memories of this, um, but it's not everything. But I, I do believe that there is a lot of things uh, you, you learn, um, it's like, Feelings, emotions, uh, um, smell, vibes—all of this—I I just get all of this uh, during this trip, and it's clearly uh, when I'm selling now. I'm there is all of this that's coming back, and um, of course, as you could imagine, I'm happy and I'm good on a boat. Uh, that's maybe not a surprise, and I, I don't know why. But I, I, I do believe that it's probably uh, thanks to this trip where I just was uh, on a boat and happy on a boat and it was a good time. At this time it was absolutely not racing. It was just um, just traveling, holidays, big holidays. And um, I do believe that it uh, it's bring a lot of things for all the rest of our life and, and probably it's something quite concrete uh, from me as because of the job I'm doing now. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm even thinking that for my sister that they're not there doing other jobs, um, but in their way of living, in their way of uh, looking at their job, I, I'm pretty sure that uh, they learn, um, they just yeah, learn a lot of things during this trip. And, uh, I met one of your sisters. We interviewed her at the finish of the Vendée. We yeah. were waiting for you to, yeah. <laughs> to cross the finish line. And um, 
you know, she works in a bank, yep. <laughs> so it obviously didn't quite inspire her in the in the same kind of way as it inspired no, you. No, that's different. But you know, sailing on a boat like this, it's not doesn't mean that you will be a sailor later. It just means that you you have trust in things on life, or you there's plenty of things that you just look a little bit differently. And uh, I hope my sister, and I'm pretty sure my sister, they have this. They have this also. Your early days were in a way similar to mine. You grew up dinghy sailing, um, apart from the big trip. And you know, now I know that you know the Vendée is a massive deal in France. But surely the most competitive class in French sailing is the optimist. I'm imagining thousands of hyper-competitive kids charging around a wonderful race course. But you know, you won national champion, the perfect start to what at the time. You know, was to be a career as an Olympic hopeful. Yeah, it was. Well, actually, when I when I went went back to to this trip with my parents, I was seven, and I I start to sail Optimist just after, and um, in my mind I, I was absolutely not thinking about uh, offshore sailing. I was just oh, I, actually I was not thinking about the future. I was just a kid and <laughs> I was just thinking about having fun. And uh, I, I was I love uh, optimist, I love sailing. I also start to love competitions because it's where I start competitions. And I grew up with this. And um, more than sailing, it was maybe the all the competition and I will say the yeah doing a sport and trying to be as good as possible on the sport. And it's uh, something that uh, helps me uh, a lot. One of the things when you're sailing on dinghy like an optimist is like Olympics. And I was dreaming about Olympics. Um, and I was dreaming already about Tornado because when I was 9 or 10, I was sailing a Dart 18 with my dad. And quite fast, I just started to sail Dart 18 with my friends from Optimist. And uh, I was doing Optimist because of the competition, but I had fun on a Dart 18 and I love uh, yeah, sailing on a multi and so the, the combination between Olympics and multiuls was tornado, and I I I I, I sell tornado from two thousand and one two thousand and five. Um, Already, I you was, wanted to go fast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I was dreaming about Olympics. Uh, fortunately, I was not good enough, or I would maybe say uh, the French sailors on this class was really good. Um, when when did you realize that you were quite good at this sport? I mean, what was the young Gabar like? There was something I think inside me um, that that grew up a little bit during these Olympics years was that I was thinking was a little bit I won't say stupid but there was something missing when I was going um, around Boo and just going back on shore at night. I was thinking why why we could just try to go a little bit uh, uh, further and uh, just sail at night and and yeah just go away. And um, I also was probably uh, lucky to live in a country and to where this offshore sailing is quite developed and uh, um, and solo offshore sailing is was working well in France and there was plenty of people was just uh, uh, doing their job with this so I was thinking why why not at least I could try so I try. I used to sail in the Olympic classes with Samantha Davies, and, and she was exactly the same. She was so bored going round, yeah, <laughs> going round and round. And you know, in the Olympic world, you just practice something thousands of times. Yeah. <laughs> and in the end, she was enough. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm off to sail around the planet. I remember when I spoke to your sister at that Vendée finish. She, as only a sister would. She said, oh, you know, when you were growing up, you were a complete nerd. You were always in your bedroom on your computer. I mean, do you think that, is that a bit unfair, Francois? Or is that, is that hinting at the truth? I don't know. Um, I like to, to try to understand things and, um, and uh, trying to, you know, I, I love sailing, but I'm, I love boats also. And uh, all the technical parts, uh, on board, so I, I love to learn how it works and uh, and uh, yeah, spending time to try to to understand uh, how it works, or it could be faster, or you can be better. Well, there's still a lot to learn. 
And there's a real pathway, isn't there, in France in offshore sailing? You know, it's no wonder there's such a, a massive amount of talent. You know, is that a big factor in where you are now? Perhaps just, you know, just talk about that pathway. The, you mean the way I, I arrived to the offshore sailing? And yes, but I mean, it's not just you, is it? I mean, nearly every offshore sailor yeah. has, uh, has has this clear pathway, you know, the, the Figaro and, and, yeah. and, and so on. Just talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, we, we're lucky in France to have, of course, I will say from an economical point of view for a sponsor in France, uh, you can... Um, you can um, propose to a sponsor a lot of different things from 1,000 euro to 20 million euro a year um, from Figaro Mini, Multi, Multi 50, Class 40. Uh, there is a lot of things to, to, to explore. And that's good because uh, it's not the, the f most difficult thing is to get a sponsor. And uh, if you have all of these different opportunities, you could imagine that you manage to, uh, to find a sponsor and to bring him to this. And after you can play in around all of this class. So I sail on the Figaro and uh, after this I sail on the Imoca and after this I sail on the Ultim. And that's, that's a good way to... And I, I do all of this uh, uh, path with a sponsor. And, and that's, that's quite... I won't say that's easy to do it in France, but that's probably the place where it's uh, where it's uh, most uh, yeah easier to do. I mean, I um, guess you know in other countries, particularly in, in the UK, you might have you, know, you might have spent five years in an Olympic class sailing round and round the boys, and but it, there's no clear pathway to get into offshore sailing. It, no, it's, that's true. It's, it's, it's very it's, difficult. It's 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 difficult. That, that's that's true and. I, but I will say it's still difficult in France, but it's more easy. And uh, and one of the good thing, there there is some easy way to do it, but there is plenty of way to arrive to offshore sailing. And that's uh, I think it's important to keep it like this, not not having only one way. Because uh, if you just look at the Vendée Globe, um, if you look about all the skippers, they all have different stories, they're different ages, they're they're all different, and uh, it's probably because there's a different way to arrive to the Vendée Globe. And I think we, we need to, to fight to keep this, to not try to make something that's too, uh, too fast the same way, because at the end we will have same skippers, same type of boat, and that's not the Vendée Globe. And the diversity we have in our world, uh, with all yeah, different... Uh, Skipper, unfortunately, we don't have enough. I mean, we could have uh, half woman, half male. Unfortunately, it's not. But it's maybe one of the on, only race or sport in the whole world where we still have uh, on the same starting line uh, male and woman just yeah. fighting on the same uh, same starting line. So we, we need to keep it. And there is old people, young people, there's people that are coming from Olympics, some of that coming for more adventure or cruising. Um, it's, uh, and yeah, there is so many ways to arrive to the Vendée Globe. Although the traditional way, isn't it? Is, you know, mini Transat, Figaro, Transat. I mean, when did you start thinking, it all leads to the Vendée, but when did you start thinking, right, I'm ready, I can, I'm going to take on the Vendée? Um, I... You, you're you're never ready for sending a Vendée. Uh, you're never ready to. You're never sure that it's good timing to go to to the Vendée. Um, but in 2010, uh, I I was I sailed on the Figaro for three years, and in 2010 I just feel that I, I think I understand that I, I write to. Um, to um, knowledge about selling where I could imagine doing the Vendée. And I, at the same time, I understand that I will never, you will, you'll never be re totally ready for it. So you can wait, you can do plenty of Figaro, you can win the Figaro, but does it mean that you will be totally good for it? N not really. So I, I but I just feel that uh, it was not uh, totally, um, um, unconscious to think about uh, doing the Vendée, and at least at this time, my sponsor was uh, Massif, 
on the Figaro. And I was thinking I should ask them if they could be interested in, uh, in doing the Vendée. And, and I remember, and I, I, I knew at this timing that I, it was just two years before the next Vendée, so it was quite, a, um, quite short um, to prepare it. I knew that uh, it was impossible to do it alone, so I, I, I was already in contact with Michel Desjoyeaux because we were planning to do the Barcelona at the end of the year. Uh, was um, a race around the world uh, double-ended, and uh, I, yeah, I, I asked him if he wants to to help me to do the Vendée, and he, he told me first, no, it's don't do it. Still, you're too young to just wait a little bit, and. Uh, I think maybe I just came back. I just think a little bit on my side. And I think yeah, no, uh, it's uh, I I have to to go and well, it was difficult because Michel was I mean the, the perfect twice. yeah. The, the, <laughs> I have absolutely no experience on the Vendée and the one was the best experience. Say no, you you're just probably too young. But at the same time, on yeah, I was feeling that yeah, I can. I can wait all my life that Michel told me, yes, you're, <laughs> you're, you're big enough to do it. So I just came back to him and I said, okay, well, whatever happens, I will try to do it. So <laughs> if you are not, but I will try. And I, I think at this timing he understood that it was probably better that he helps me to, to do it. I remember interviewing him at the start of that Barcelona World Race. I mean, yeah. you were so young, and yeah. he was—I mean, you know—he was the legend of French offshore yeah. sailing. And he told me then that you had this real talent, that you were a, a special sailor. You know, he'd realised how important was he in your career. What impact did Mish have? I—it's huge. Of course, it's huge because the Vendée Globe is um, whatever happens in my future life, Vendée Globe will still be something huge and uh, and clearly I, I don't think I will have been able to just to do this race, or at least to do it as, as the way I did it and to win it if uh, I could have um, um, the support of uh, Michel and all the team he has around him at this timing, so that's just huge and um, I'm thankful for, for this uh, um, meeting that I have with Michel and I will say even just a little bit before with Quito de Pavon also and Corbel I mean a lot of people I just met when I arrived to Parlaf this small French village where really a small city but with um, plenty of, of great sailors and um, thanks to them and thanks to all the things I learned with all of them and, and especially of course Michel um, I learned a lot of things really fast and uh, and I, I did the Vendée and I'm doing what I'm doing now. Did that come with pressure? I mean, they obviously recognised something special in you. You know, in a way he was setting you up to, you know, to win the Vendée, to be a winner. You know, what pressure did that bring? I don't think it was a pressure from them. Um, because they, they were just helping and they, they, Michel did never told me, yeah, I believe in you and you have to win the Vendée. <laughs> it was, it was not, not the case. It's eventually, but my sponsor was smart enough at this timing to, to understand that um, it's not easy to win the Vendée and uh, we have to build a project in a long-term perspective to try to, to give, to, to have, um, yeah, maximize our chance to win it one day. Only pressure you could have is, even eventually from your sponsor, just invest a lot of money and just uh, want to have his uh, money back uh, with communication. Um, but they were, I think the connection I, I have with Massif at, at, at this timing was, uh, was perfect because they, they understood the potential we could do together, but at the same time they didn't much pressure. They, but they, they, they took the decision to build a new boat. Uh, it was it was a risk from for, from them, but uh, I will say a, a smart risk to to invest uh, in a new boat with a young uh, skipper, um, and uh, it could be uh, a pressure, but they were smart enough to don't uh, 
make it like a pressure and just say, okay, we just uh, we just together believe in a long-term uh, collaboration, and uh, we we have to try to yeah to maximize our chance chance to 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 be as good as possible as fast as possible and. Um, that was smart. You know, I've been lucky enough to be a few Vendée starts and, and gone down the canal. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Tens of thousands of people lining each side, wishing you well. It, one thing that's guaranteed is that I will cry. And I've tried on a few occasions not to, but it's so emotional. You know, it's impossible not to get upset by it all. You know, I was wondering how you remember leaving Le Sabdelon feeling not quite ready, the first Vendée, about to take on the planet. You know, what was that moment like for you? That's, that's a crazy moment. That's crazy when you just live once in your life. Because even if you sail around the world after, it's, it's not the first time. So, yeah, that's... I don't know, this, this, it's part of my life where a lot of things were happening really fast. And, and you just arrive here and... Um, it's you just have the world in front of you, literally, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's in a way uh, scary, and in another way, plenty of 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 dreams that could arrive just here, and uh, I I just feel uh, life is uh, emotions, and um, if life is emotions, uh, clearly this day is. Uh, is a good a uh, good day for for living and uh, and that's uh, yeah that's that's some experience you just um, just have to yeah I, I always will remember this and um, and that's 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 wonderful to live it and to live it as a skipper of course it's the it's it's something great but. To live it also as a public, I, I think a lot of people just uh, live, uh, yeah, something strong, and that's what we're all trying to do in our life. I think it's a special day. I mean, even if you don't know much about sailing, it's, yeah, that's. I, I think about it now, and I could choke up. You know, but I imagine you know the young Francois Gabar. He, he gets out of the canal, he gets ready to go, and then you're on the start line with with all these French legends, you know, Jean Lacan, Armel Leclerc, you know, how intimidating was all that? I was not, I was not intimidated by the other skippers. Uh, you, you, you have to be intimidated by the, the trip you have in front of you. <laughs> That's clearly a long trip. Um, I just, um, I just, I was used a little bit to sail with these legends uh, in the, years before because when when you arrive it's more when just after olympics i arrive in on the figaro and i was yeah really young and sailing with against or with this this legend of sailing and the, this transition was brutal but I, in a way when i was at, uh, on the vendee globe it was already three four years i was sailing with them but i will even say living with them because we <laughs> living in the same village and we just uh um, yeah, we 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 spend times. Um, we we talk. We so I was, I, and I was clearly feeling I was part of this family. I mean, ultimately, it went very well, and I think any any of the public that was watching will remember that match race through the Southern Ocean between you and Armel. You know, how intense was that period? It was incredibly intense. And I, I think, you know, as I told you, I love competition and I, I'm a competitor and, uh, and I love sailing. I love sailing offshore. What could you best than sailing offshore? It's sailing around the world. What you could imagine best than competing uh, around the world was like this match race with Armel, where we just were just a few miles away most of the time during the race. And fighting and trying to to yeah to just win few few miles. Um, it was incredible until the end. Quite uh, difficult, intense. Um, I just didn't sleep so much. I just uh, was hard because there there was always. Uh, I, I just enter in this competition mode where you just tr yeah try to do the, all the best all the time, and there is no 
time to um, for to relax. It was always um, yeah trying to 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 be as good as possible. It's what what I was looking for. I was already thinking before the start to to just leave it one hundred percent all the time, and uh, it helped me with Armel so close to to just went into this uh, 100% focus on the boat and uh, on the speed of the boat and uh, yeah it was um, how do you do that day after day I don't know and I still don't know but I'm I mean you you just you just try and you you try and you just don't know exactly how you will manage the day after but uh, day after you just uh, try again and try again and uh, it's 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 all you manage to push your limits and to yeah try to be better try to to learn things about yourself that you you never think you will be able to do and that's one of the yeah interesting thing with this race it's just uh, and it's also working with a lot of different sports but working really really good with uh, the Vendée Globe and and all this race crazy race around the world it's push you to, to do your best and uh, you don't have the choice in fact you have to to do it and that's interesting then of course it did end it was over and the flares came out the iconic pictures of those famous names that have gone before you Michdez of course Alan Gauthier Vincent Rio and now Francois Gabar I mean how surreal was that sailing back into the Sabdalon that was really good to be back First, because it's you just want to, yeah, to just find back your your team, your family, people you love, um, and um, and of course I was so proud to be a winner. I, I was dreaming about doing the Vendée Globe. In fact, I never dreamed before to to win it. I was just dreaming about doing the Vendée Globe, and um, going from this, I I I was. I, I just was a winner of the Vendée Globe and it was just, uh, it means that uh, I did the job and I did it well. So I was really proud of this. But I, I don't I don't think I really realized at this timing, I, I mean, at least the day when I arrived, I, I was just thinking I did something incredible, but I didn't know exactly what I mean. I, I didn't have, I was so focused on the things I was doing, I didn't realize exactly all the all the consequences of this in my life and I mean a household name in France after that a yeah yeah name. you know how yeah. how did that race change your life it, of course it changed your life it's it's changed a lot of things and hopefully I, I, I hope it changed it in a good way I'm, I'm pretty sure about it um, it um, it changed I, I mean um, it changed things for me as I, I was absolutely unknown in France before and I, a lot of people were just uh, know me, they stopped me in the street and it, in the daily, um, I mean, in, yeah, it did, didn't change so much my way of living, it changed the way the world was looking at, at myself. Um, and but. I, what what I clearly uh, hope is that you, when you're doing offshore sailing and especially a race like this, is that you learn things about yourself, and um, it gives you a lot of trust about yourself and about things you can do. Um, I was l- thinking a little bit; it was impossible to do it, or it was impossible to yet yeah, win a race like this and fact is I, I did it and after this you're you're really optimistic about a lot of things because you 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 just think that a lot of things are possible <laughs> I even think that after this one globe I my trust about life my myself the boat people around me was even even higher than before I love speed I'm not afraid about speed we are living a revolution with the boat flying. If you just stop the boat when you're going 50 knots and you stop it quite fast, it's really brutal. Now, Francois, we've interviewed you uh, a lot over the years, and I can truthfully say, I mean, you're a journalist's dream. Well-organized, you have the most relaxed can-do press officers, 
and we go all around the sport. <laughs> you talk in perfect sound bites. You even ask about, you know, the colour of the shirt. I mean, that is it's very unusual. It's very, very rare. You know, where has that come from? I guess that that ease as a communicator and also I feel a sort of empathy with other people who are who are doing their jobs in the sport. I mean, it, you're very unique in that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about <laughs> about this. I, I I do believe that we're all unique, and uh, I'm I'm fighting for this. I guess, uh, to, I I guess mean, it's to, to um, try to yeah. to follow your way, and uh, um, I mean to yeah, we we all unique. I'm pretty. I'm sure about it, and I, I'm I'm fighting for this. I mean. As you said, you mentioned uh, a lot of sailor that helped me as Michel. Uh, no, so I just, I, I suppose what I'm getting at is, I mean, you're a real, I think you see the whole package. You're a good communicator, but you also see it's important to get your story out. And I suppose in my job, we, we touch sailors in all disciplines. And you just have a unique understanding, I think, about, about the sport as a whole. I, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I just, I just. One of the thing maybe uh, to to try to see the big picture is one of the thing I st when I start sending optimist, it was just like a kid, um, something that's that I wanted to do, and it was really, uh, I will say, egocentric. It was I wanted to sell optimist, and I was selling optimist. And I, I was selling dinghy, and after even when I was selling Olymp Olympics, I was selling double-handed. So it was something I shared with one people, but it was quite focused on us. And when I start to sell uh, solo, and because offshore sailing is like this, with a lot of people are following it, I start to understand that what I was doing, that was just a personal dream to sell offshore, but was a little bit also... Uh, uh, something you can share with people and uh, coming from a competitor that's just trying to win things or to 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 do your dream my personal dream that was sitting offshore that was doing the Vendée Globe one day uh, I start to understand that uh, trying to to make this dream work was um, important for other people that was following the race for important for a sponsor important for a lot of other people and uh, I, I think it's I realize it was quite good because the job I wanted to do was not just uh, only something for myself it was just just like something I will say that was uh, in a social point of view was important I mean uh, sailors we we don't save life of people we don't bring food to other people but there is Plenty of jobs like this in the our in our world, and I I, I understood that the the job we're doing uh, has a value for everyone if we bring something to to everyone and uh, and we're bringing something um, a little bit of dream a little bit of hope a little bit of uh, um, yeah something different than that people needs that our society needs and. Uh, I, for me, it's really important because it's it's not only trying to it's trying to to win a race or to make a boat fly or to to just try to be better. It's trying to do this for a good reason. And the only good reason I see is trying to make it uh, um, useful for other people. What about the reverse, Francois? If you could interview someone for a podcast. Who would you sit down and talk to? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, someone that is, yeah, doing crazy things, and it's it's way of inspiration for myself. I'm thinking Alex Arnold, uh, crazy solo climber. Um, maybe not so crazy, but uh, uh, that's just like people like this. And I'm on the, uh, not on the selling world. I, I I lucky enough to meet a lot of people now in Singapore. We're talking about Jimmy and America's Cup sailor. I mean, in solo in offshore sailing, I think I I met a lot of of uh, amazing uh, sailor. Uh, but on more on the water sports, I'm thinking about surfers or Kailini, John John Florence. There is so many 
people that's um, that, that yeah that's inspiration for for me and I I do believe that you need to pick up things a little bit everywhere to try to so yeah John John Kaylani and Alex Nold good uh, will be a good podcast people who take on the impossible yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in Jaws next year yeah hope so <laughs> we'll like. Right, let's move on. I mean, currently you're the holder of one of the most elusive records in sport. And before I ask anything, let me put this in perspective. In December 2017, you finished a lap of the planet in 42 days, 16 hours and 40 minutes, breaking the record by almost an entire week. Sailing the giant 100-foot trimaran massif solo to break Thomas Colville's record. Now that in itself is a remarkable achievement. How proud of that landmark record are you? Oh, I'm really proud. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I told you just before that uh, I was trying to do the Vendée Globe and I didn't know it was really possible to win it. And when I just write this record, I was clearly thinking it was impossible to, to win it. To beat it, and um, and again, just because you think it's impossible, you just uh, try to push yourself, and at the end, you. I I, I also I have to admit I, I I had chance. I was you need chance to do something like this, uh, and I was lucky enough to find a good weather window. But I, I had this weather condition that uh, was good to go really fast. Uh, and especially in South Atlantic, on my on my way to go to to Indian Ocean, but also on my way back. But the good thing, and I'm proud about it, is that I didn't let this go. I just there was one chance to do it, and I I didn't uh, I didn't miss it. And I, even I'm thinking one of the thing maybe I'm I'm the most uh, I'm I'm really proud is that. Um, the decision to go was not easy. When you try to, to, to be the record like this, you have to first find a good day and you can always ask yourself, is it the best day? And um, yeah, clearly I, I just know that the team around me, I, I was really thinking, okay, we go. And uh, are you sure? No, I'm not sure, but we go. <laughs> and there's people around you that they are not sure also. And uh, you say, yeah, but we try. And this uh, thing, I was proud to to just not, uh, yeah, not go back. Just just try, just try, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a good try. I mean, not only did you break Koval's record, but what absolutely astounds me, Francois, is that your record was the second fastest lap of the planet ever. I mean, you also beat Loic Perron's crude 2012 Jules Verne record. And he had 13 other people on board. I mean, it was an astonishing feat. Yeah, I mean, we, we learned so many things on, our, on this boat the last years. We, this, um, why we managed, I managed to go as this speed around the planet is because I sail well and I'm yeah I did it and I have to say it I'm proud about it but it's also the work of all of my team around me and I will say even more than only our team it's all the everything we learn in this sport and in multiple selling in in the offshore selling in the last 10-15 years and uh, uh, the ultimate boats are are able to go so fast now um, so that's I will say it's um, it's um, yeah we we, we 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 are in a mechanical sport and um, our sport uh, um, is really our boats are really faster now so that's in a way normal that we just break record because we it's not only the boat, we have to sail well after, but uh, but what we learn with my team, with all yeah people around, it helps to do things like this. Wasn't it Mish Dejvoyeux that said about you that you've no, you've no fear of the speed 
you know, just talk to me a little bit about, I guess, how dangerous sailing a giant overpowered foiling trimaran is day and night for 42 days. Talk me through some of the things perhaps that, that can so easily go wrong. I, I love speed. I'm not afraid about speed. And I have to say, I even think that sometimes speed is not dangerous. It's, I will say, it's sometimes safer to go fast. Uh, the fact that on the boat um, where you use the wind and you have a, a weather forecast, the speed gives you some freedom to go where you want to go. And for example, on uh, when you're sailing around the world, um, if you're fast enough, you can uh, avoid a storm that's just in on your back. Uh, so I'm not saying that the speed you is only safety because. Of course, going more than 14 knots on the mill tool is, uh, brings some other danger you, you don't have when you go slow. But it also, it, it's not only danger. It's sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's safer. And clearly, I'm, I, I prefer to be on a boat that's able to sail more than 14 knots when I'm in some part of the world where there is stormy conditions and you can avoid the worst, the worst part of the storm. But of course, uh, sailing this speed uh, could be also a danger because, because we, we, we just start to go at this speed and uh, uh, there is new um, danger coming with this, the same a little bit as uh, danger we can have with a car. Uh, if you just uh, uh, stop the boat when you're going 45 or close to 50 knots and you stop it quite fast to 10 knots, um, the, it's, it's really brutal and you can hurt yourself on the boat. So you, you need to adapt your way of, of sailing, you, your way of being on the boat. And it could be dangerous because we're just learning, we just discover this new way of sailing and this, this type of speed. So. We, you, you have to always keep in mind that's going fast because the boat is uh, so, so good that sometimes you're, it looks like easy to go fast. So you have to keep it in mind and to try to yeah, be really focused and never forget that uh, yeah, it could, a uh, could capsize, never forget it. Uh, but if you just load on quite fast or if you just touch a wave, uh, always be sure that you can't hurt yourself falling. So it's, um, yeah, it's not like an um, easy way of sailing. It's just uh, need to be, yeah, you need to be 100% focused on what you're doing and, um, and should be okay. What about the good days, the fast days? What's that like, Francois? You know, down south, chasing the record in perfect conditions. That's good. <laughs> it's what I love. I love the speed. I love the speed, clearly. And uh, good day, good conditions where everything is perfect and you, you fly above water. It's just like feeling that's, uh, that's incredible because it's... Um, it's not the most difficult day on a record. It's when you go really fast, everything is um, on play. So you just, you just, as I said just before, you just be careful, just keep focus. Don't forget that uh, you, you could uh, could slow down. And uh, but uh, but it's just also enjoying the speed and. Uh, it's all uh, the work you have done before, all the work the team has done, uh, all the energy you just put uh, in training, in working, in building, uh, imagining a boat. All of this energy arrived to a point where the boat is falling 45 knots or more. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I feel it's just all the energy you just uh, have before is arriving to this. and. Uh, makes something incredible happen, going fast on a boat. It's hard to imagine that it's going to get faster. Let's talk a little bit about the future. And I know we did at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about all teams flying around the planet. 
you know, how quick do you think this is going to get foiling machines powering around the globe? Do you think we might even see a, a dry lap? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite uh, extreme about the, the future. I, I, I really think uh, we can't put any limits on, uh, on the future because we just, we're, we're living a revolution that's so big in the ceiling uh, with the boat flying. It's, I mean, we, we start um, a long time ago when uh, a, a human understood that you can put wood on a boat and it floats and you can put a big piece of wood or some part of wood and you can put inside and you just create a boat. And a few years after, they just understand that you can put a rudder on the back and you can put a mast and use the wind to make it like a sailing boat. It's, it's, we, we create this thousands of years ago. And um, since then, we get this sailing boat better. But it doesn't change so much. <laughs> it's still a mast, sail. And the, the way it floats, it's Archimedes and it's quite the same things. And because of flying, because of using a foil, we're not using the same, uh, the same uh, physical uh, law. It's, uh, we just use the dynamic of the foil. We're not using Archimed anymore. So this is all different. And it, it was the same law, physical law for thousands of years. And just now, in 10 years, maybe foils exist for Maybe the concept exists for um, maybe 100 years, but it just in less than 10 years, we managed to make it fly and to make it work like this. And this revolution is, is huge. And the consequences is now just uh, for um, racing boats, but quite fast. I'm pretty sure it will arrive to cruising boat to a lot of different boats. And this revolution is unique and it's big. And the consequences of this is, uh, I, I don't think someone could say um, a racing boat in, or even whatever, a boat will be this in 10, 20 years, because this revolution is really big. So answering the question, how, how fast could we go around the world? I have absolutely no idea, but I'm pretty sure we will go way faster than what we did in the last year because we're living this revolution and there is no reason we go, we, we, we're not sailing way faster than what we did in the last years. And super happy because I'm just a sailor and I'm just living, living just at this time of the history where a lot of things happen and we you don't know what will, what will be the future, but it will be interesting and really different than what we, what's past. What about your future? You know, what do you want to achieve next in the sport? What's the long-term goal? Long-term goal is clearly to fly around the world, and as you say, if we could do a dry, a dry uh, trip around the world would be perfect. But I, I will save and more than this and more than maybe sport I I clearly hope to 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 do something to make all of this uh, progress we we did in our racing boat all of this revolution could have I'm pretty sure could have a huge impact on a lot of different subjects and I I don't know how but I would like to just have a small uh, to have a small role in all of this and to not only uh, do it for racing, just trying to do it for for a lot of boats, for a lot of people could uh, have a positive impact from this revolution. And I, I don't know exactly how, but I will just I will just be happy to be part of this and to bring something into this big revolution. Francois Gabart, thank you so much for joining us. It's been it's been great. It's been enlightening to catch up and I can't wait to, to be there when you come back from your dry lap. All the very best and again. Thanks, thanks a lot. A massive thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 
He's an extraordinary talent. It would be good to know what you think and if you enjoyed it. And it would also be fab if you left a review or rating on iTunes. Apparently it's really important in the podcast world. As always, a massive thank you to Tim at Vertical Films for producing this edition and making it sound so good. Tim, you're a legend. Now, I know we said it would be one podcast a month, but it's a busy summer and it just seemed like the right thing to do to have a Sale GP special edition. Well, you can decide if it's special or not. But anyway, next week we're uploading an hour with Chris Draper. He's the CEO of the British team and he gives us a peek inside the tour. But it's not all Sale GP with Draper. A one-time fellow Team GB teammate of mine, he's been deep inside the elite end of the sport for quite some time. We even raced against each other in the extreme 40s, that's going back some. And he's got a fascinating take on where the sport has gone since those early days of stadium racing. Thank you for listening. If you've tuned in, hunkered in a bunk, riding out the worst that the Fastnet has to throw at you, hang in there, it'll be worth it. And for all of you, have fun on the water. Sail safe, everyone. This is Cost One, Rachel speaking. Pressure coming here, pressure coming. We're 1.5 below. Stand by, two dives here, boys. We're looking at 10.5 and 42. This is Castle One standing by. Out.